been a busy few days in the world of football. We had the Ballon d'Or winners announced and listeners yesterday in particular were reminding me about Man United's, how shall we put it, indifferent form. I like to call it tall poppy syndrome. Anyway, Daniel Garby joined me in studio last week and pleased to say he's on the line right now. G'day, Garby. Hello, Jules. How are you, mate? I'm going very well. Look, we have to start with the Ballon d'Or. You, in fact, are Australia's media representative in the men's vote. We'll get to the men's in a moment, but I thought we have to start with our star player, Sam Kerr, second. Outstanding achievement. Gee, she knows how to finish on the podium, doesn't she? But I think at the end of the day, you can't argue with the winner, Barcelona's Aitana Bonmati. No, she was superb in the World Cup, and, and World Cup years carry enormous weight in the Ballon d'Or. Um, as they should. I mean, it is the time for the best players in the world to produce. And even though there's uh, only a select few games, the pressure of that occasion means that it uh, carries huge weight in the Ballon d'Or. So, yeah, the winner was justified. But for Sam Kerr to finish second without playing a big role in the World Cup, of course, just sums up um, how special she is. And look, we grow accustomed to Sam's achievements, don't we? She has so many. But we shouldn't lose perspective of how big this is for an Australian to finish second in the Ballon d'Or. And she just continues to amaze with her records, with her exploits for Chelsea in England, which is the main reason for her second placing this time around. Um, on one hand, though, that injury, it's such a shame because maybe it did cost her the chance to win her first Ballon d'Or. Like you think about the World Cup and the weight that's placed in it. I mean, if she's fit and firing all tournament long, and scores six goals or so, maybe she does enough to win it. So a bit of a shame in that sense because it's the home World Cup and such a rare opportunity. But still, to finish second, just unbelievable. And Hayley Razo in 17th. She's got the move to Real Madrid. Yeah, That's also a, a massive achievement for her. So, yeah, our Matilda's continuing to shine. Indeed. And they, they raise the awareness, don't they, around women's football in this country. 59,000 at Optus Stadium the other night. It shows that they're still well and truly on the bandwagon, which is wonderful to see. And then in the men's, of course, the irrepressible Lionel Messi, a stunning eighth gong, finally completed that missing piece of the puzzle, didn't he, with a World Cup win, which uh, got him the nod over Erling Haaland. No great surprise there in the end, Garby? No, I think the top three were clear. It was always Messi, uh, Haaland and Mbappe. It was just a matter of which order you place those three in. Then there was a big gap to the rest. Um, but Messi for mine was the standout. Happy to say that's where my five votes went to. I had Mbappe above uh, Haaland, but no arguments with Haaland placing second. Yeah, as I said, World Cups carry enormous weight. Um, For Haaland to finish above Mbappe, uh, considering that, and Norway weren't at the World Cup, shows how special his season was. We know that his goal-scoring exploits, Man City won the treble. But the pressure on Lionel Messi, you know, his last World Cup, to deliver in that manner for Argentina, be the player of the tournament, uh, Golden Boot as well, it was just mind-blowing and he deserved that recognition his stats in france for psg stacked up as well so he didn't lose any ground with that but uh, the world cup triumph with argentina elevated him into top position not by a huge margin or anything there was certainly some debate i'm sure amongst all the judges over whether mbappe and Haaland deserve to be number one but no i think when when messi leads his nation to glory like that amid the expectation of his entire country and everything that surrounded him just shows how special he was and uh, he justifiably deserves it. Indeed, there was a sense of destiny about it, wasn't there? Um, and you think about the Socceroos' performance against Argentina to score, I think that, that form stacks up pretty well. Uh, you mentioned there Harlan Man City at the moment. Are they showing the vast gap in quality between themselves and their crosstown rivals, Manchester 
United a comfortable 3-0 win. Yeah, and look, that was probably coming. I think United fans would have seen a couple of victories in the lead-up to that, but there wasn't a great deal of confidence instilled based on the way in which they were playing. And I think United fans were fearing this, that when they ran into a strong team, home or away, they were probably going to be dealt with accordingly. And Manchester City did that. Just far superior. United, it's going the same way for Ten Hag that it has done for so many other managers before him. Maybe he can rectify it. There seems to be a bit more substance about him or, or less of a toxic culture around him uh, than was in place for, say, a, a Van Gaal or a Jose Mourinho or David Moyes or the way in which it fell apart for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But it's not looking good at the moment. I mean, they don't seem to have a defined game plan. There's no real confidence in their ball movement. There's no real system, and defensively, they're not strong enough. And up against the likes of Highland and, and Phil Foden and others, well, they'll, they'll pull you apart. You, City have the ability at the moment to, because they are so brilliant and have been so successful for so long, to elevate their performances for, for the big games. So they can probably win a lot of games at 75%. And they certainly do that early in the season as they build into the campaign. But then a big game like this comes around and they're like, all right, lads, now we go full throttle. And when that's the case, you get a scoreline like that, cruisy win at Old Trafford and uh, City hitting their straps and United in a, a perilous position by yeah, their standard. Of course, with front office dramas not helping the cause. Uh, what about your boys, Liverpool? Swept Forest rather comfortably, Jota, Nunes and Salah as well. And, and of course, Jota, we saw hold aloft uh, Diaz's number seven shirt. This is horrible news about his, his parents been kidnapped, Garby. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's commonplace in some nations that you know, when a, a player hits the heights of the Premier League and obviously they're earning fortunes, they become targets for things like this, for kidnapping, because gangs can, can try and make some money out of it. So a horrible situation for Luis Diaz. They found his mother. I haven't heard any reports in relation to the whereabouts of his father just yet. I know there was a £40,000 bounty put up just for information around it. So hopefully that resolves itself. And it was a nice touch from Diego Jota after scoring the first to hold up. Luis Diaz's shirt um, in support of him and, and Liverpool were far too strong. They're looking good, the Reds. They really are. Uh, they seem to have uh, the mentality switched on and uh, when they're in that zone, they've still got a lot of talent. And Mohamed Salah is looking a lot stronger than he did last season. His goal-scoring record is unbelievable. Nunez is in good touch right now. There's some depth in midfield. And when they've got Kanata and Van Dijk at the back, defensively, they look resolute as well. So, yep, they're going along really well and it's Liverpool, Arsenal, City right now, if you were talking about a title race, would be the three teams you'd mention. But Tottenham, keep on keeping on. And every time we think they might just have a little dip Mm. and sits there with a big smile on his face at a press conference and says, I'll just keep the momentum going, the good times going. And uh, who knows? Maybe they'll get to Christmas in this sort of position. And if so, watch out. He'll keep copying Pep, as he's wont to say to, <laughs> to, to Garrett. We'll get to Andrew in a moment, but uh, just a quick word. Aston Villa, they're flying at the moment. They're 12th consecutive home game, uh, granted against a struggling Luton side, but Unai Emery doing good things. Yeah, he's a very good manager. I think they landed a beauty there. Uh, Aston Villa in attracting Unai Emery across. I know it didn't go well for him at Arsenal, but I think the Gunners were still struggling with the post-Arsen Wenger era and finding their feet and Maybe if he'd come in now when Arteta did, it would be a different story. But at the time, it didn't quite work out. But he went back to Spain, rebuilt things, and Villa landed a beauty with him because he is a top-class manager. And they've got a very good squad, a deep squad. And crucially, 
a striker who you have confidence can bang in 20 goals a season in Ollie Watkins. And you need that if you're going to, you know, surpass expectations and potentially finish in the top six. And right now, Villa look a good chance to, uh, to be a Europa League side at least come the end of the season. They are not an, uh, an easy team to play against. So they have a good injury run. Watch out. They might hang around that top six for a, for a while yet. It, it's funny. A friend of mine who plays uh, fantasy football is seething because he left Ollie Watkins out. He dropped him from his team and then he went on this goal-scoring spree. <laughs> uh, Everton, bit of breathing space with that 1-0 win over West Ham. Bro, just a quick word before we get on Spurs, Guppy, about Brighton. Missed a really good chance to stay in touch with that top four. The one-all draw with Fulham. They've just gone off the boil a bit the past few games. Yeah, they have a touch. Um, you know, I think they've got a big target on their back. So they had a really good season last time out. And they started so well. I think a lot of teams put the microscope on Brighton and said, all right, we're not going to let them sneak under their radar. Our radar. We're not going to underestimate them. And teams are pressing them strongly. And Fulham scored in that manner on the weekend. A turnover as Brighton tried to play it out from the back. And they're asking a lot of questions of them in that sense. And they need to work through that Brighton at the moment. They've got a special striker up front in Evan Ferguson, 18 years of age, big boy. He's going to be sold for £100 million at least one day. Don't worry about that. Um, but I think they're rotating a little bit too much up top. Maybe they haven't quite found their right rhythm. Still going along nicely, Brighton. But I think teams have quickly put a lot of work and attention on them in the early part of the season, and maybe that's showing. And then Ange Postacoglu Spurs. A nice away win at Crystal Palace, maintaining their unbeaten streak. That second goal in particular, Garby, a thing of absolute beauty. You know, that was Ange ball at its finest. And good, too, to see Brennan Johnson heavily involved. He can play in the left or the right. And he, he was a, a Postacoglu purchase. And you can just see what he's trying to extract from this football club. And further to that, I mean, we spoke very briefly last week on the program about you know, the challenges facing Spurs, perhaps their lack of depth. But good to see uh, Bentaker back. Yeah, well, Ange's growing out the squad. He needed to do that. He got copped a little bit of criticism, his only bit of criticism since he joined Spurs when he uh, rotated things in the League Cup. He had a look at some players. First fans weren't happy with the defeat, saying they need a challenge for a trophy. But Ange's got his eyes on things long-term, and he needs to work out which players are up to it, which players aren't. So I think that's helped him a little bit now. And Brennan Johnson, as you say, it's smart signing because they don't have a huge amount of resources, Spurs, although they've spent a bit. And they need to find players who are versatile. And Johnson, as you say, can play anywhere across the front line. And I think a lot of us have played football manager in the past. Ange is a big advocate of that game. Probably yeah. still plays it right now. Um, and sometimes when you haven't got the biggest budget, you have to sign players who can fill multiple positions. Brennan Johnson can do that. So maybe his experience in that game has helped him out, Ange. But uh, they're just playing with incredible momentum and confidence right now. James Madison's at the heart of everything. And as long as they've got him and Son on the pitch, they can build a lot of solidity around those two players and they have a genuine match-winning combination. So it's fantastic to see. And, uh, yeah, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago when I was in the studio. I mean, he's the biggest name in Australian sport right now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Sam Kerr's right up there. Josh Giddy's right up there, of course. But when you're managing the Premier League club as an Australian and you are top of the table 10 games in, it's going to be very hard to knock you off as uh, our biggest sporting name. And uh, I think Ange can uh, hold that mantle with ease right now. Yeah, they are dynamic, and importantly, he's brought the fan base along with them after some years of struggle. Comprehensive as always, Garby. Great to chat. No worries. Thanks, Jules. There he is. Daniel Garb with a football update.